0: Chapter One of the Stolen Singer by Martha Fletcher Bellinger. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Matt Perrard. Chapter One Twilight in the Park. You may wait, Raynon. The voice was firm but the lady herself hesitated as she stepped from the tonneau there was no answer holding the flapping ends of her veil away from her face she turned and looked fairly at the driver of the machine he seemed a business-like capable man though certain minor details of his chauffeur's rig were a bit unusual and now that he had been obliged by some discomfort to remove his goggles his face appeared pleasant and quite untanned his passenger noted these things, remarking Oh, it isn't Renault. No, Mademoiselle. Renault hadn't showed up at the office when you telephoned, so they put me on in his place. Ah, I see. Accent seemed to imply, however, that she was not quite pleased. The manager sent you. And your name is? My name a rather odd name. Hand. The face, half hidden behind the veil, remained impassive a moment's hesitation and then the lady turned away with a short you will wait as mademoiselle wishes or shall i perhaps follow slowly along the drive no wait here i shall return soon the young woman walked away erect well poised lifting skirts skilfully as she paused a moment at the top of the stone steps leading down into the tiny park the driver of the machine free from observation allowed a perplexed look to occupy his countenance what the devil is to pay if she doesn't return soon the avenue lifts a camel's hump toward the sky in the space of fifteen blocks and on the top secure as the howdah of a chieftain stands the noble portico of the old college to the westward as everyone knows lie the river and the more pretentious park on the east an abrupt descent offers space for a small grassy playground for children who may be seen during the sunny hours of the day romping over the slope as the gaze of the woman swept over the charming little pleasance and beyond over the miles of signboards roofs chimneys and intersecting streets the serious look disappeared from her face summer haze and distance shed a gentle beauty over what she knew to be a clamoring city new york angles were softened noises subdued sensational scenes lost in the dimmed perspective to a chance observer the prospect would have been deeply suggestive in the woman it stirred many memories she put back her veil her face glowed a long sigh escaped her lips slowly she walked down the steps along the sloping path to a turn where she sank down on a bench a rosy tired child rather the worse for mud pies and hanging reluctantly at the hand of its nonchalant nurse brought a bit of the woman's emotion to the surface she smiled radiantly at the lagging infant the face revealed by the uplifted veil was of a type to accompany the youthful but womanly figure and the spirited tread beautiful she would be counted without doubt by many an observer those who loved her would call her beautiful without stint but more appealing than her beauty was the fine spirit a strong free spirit loving honesty and courage which glowed like a flame behind her beauty best of all perhaps was a touch of quaintness a slightly comic twist to her lips an imperceptible alertness of manner which revealed to the initiated that she had a sense of humour in excellent running order. It was evident that the little excursion was of the nature of a pilgrimage. The idle hour, the bit of holiday, became a memorial as recollection brought back to her the days of childhood spent down yonder a few squares away in this very city. They seemed bright in retrospect, like the pleasant pass of a quiet garden but they had ended abruptly and had been followed by years of activity and colourful experience in another country through it all what anticipations had been lodged in her return to home something there would complete the story the story with its secret ecstasies and aspirations the story of the ardent springs of youth withdrawing her gaze from the scene below though with apparent reluctance she took from the pocket of her coat an opened envelope which he regarded a moment with thoughtfulness before drawing forth the enclosures there were two letters one of which was brief and written in bad script on a single sheet of paper bearing a legal head it was dated at charlesport maine and stated that the writer in conformity with the last wish of his friend and client hercules thayer was ready to transfer certain deeds and papers to the late Mr. thayer's designated heir agatha redmond also that the writer requested an interview at miss redmond's earliest convenience holding the half-open sheets in her hand the lady closed her eyes and sat motionless as if in the grasp of an absorbing thought with the disappearing child the signs of life on the hillside had diminished the traffic of the street passed far below The sharp click-click of a pedestrian now and then sounded above, but no one passed her way. The hum of the city made a blurred wash of sound, like the varying yet steady wash of the sea. As she opened her eyes again, she saw that the twilight had perceptibly deepened. Far away, lights began to flash out in the city, as if a million fireflies by twos and threes and dozens were waking to their nocturnal revelry. On the hill the light was still good and the lady turned again to her reading the other letter was written on single sheets of thin paper in an old-fashioned beautiful hand wherever a double s occurred the first was written long in the style of sixty years ago and the whole letter was as easily legible as print across the top was written to agatha redmond daughter of my ward and dear friend agatha shaw and below that in the lawyer's choppy handwriting was a date of nearly a year previous as agatha redmond read the second letter a smile half of sadness half of pleasure overspread her countenance it ran as follows ilion Maine, my dear agatha i take my pen in hand to address you the daughter of the dearest friend of my life for the first time in the twenty-odd years of your existence once as a child you saw me and you have doubtless heard my name from your mother's people from time to time but i can scarcely hope that any knowledge of my private life has come to you it will be easy then for you to pardon an old man for giving you in this fashion the confidence he has never been able to bestow in the flesh when you read this epistle my dear agatha i shall have stepped into that next mystery which is death indeed the duty which i am now discharging serves as partial preparation for that very event this duty is to make you heir to my house and estate and to certain accessory funds which will enable you to keep up the place you may regard this act possibly as the idiosyncrasy of an unbalanced mind it is certain that some of my kinsfolk will do so But while I have been able to bear up under their greater or less displeasure for many years, I find myself shrinking before the possibility of dying absolutely unknown and forgotten by you, your mother, Agatha Shaw, of blessed memory now for many years, was my ward and pupil after the death of your grandfather. I think I may say, without undue self-congratulation, that few women of their time have enjoyed as sound a scheme of education as your mother she had a knowledge of mathematics could construe both in latin and greek and had acquired a fair mastery of the historic civilization of the greeks egyptians and ancient babylonians while these attainments would naturally be insufficient for a man's work in life yet for a woman they were of an exceptional order sufficient to say that in your mother's character these noteworthy abilities were supplemented by gracious womanly arts and when she arrived at maturity i offered her the honour of marriage it is painful for me to recall the scene and the consequences of your mother's refusal of my hand even after these years of philosophical reflection it were idle for a man of parts to allow a mere preference in regard to his domestic situation to influence his course of action in any essential matter and i have never permitted my career to be shaped by such details but from that time however the course of my life was changed from the impassioned orator and preacher i was transformed into the man of books and the study and since then i have lived far from the larger concourses of men my weekly sermon for twenty years has been the essence of my weekly toil in establishing the authenticity first of the entire second gospel and second of the ten doubtful verses in the fifteenth chapter my work is now accomplished for all time i believe from the inception of what i considered my life mission i made the resolve to bequeath to agatha shaw whatever manuscripts or other material of value my work should lead me to accumulate together with this house in which i have spent all the later years of my life you are agatha shaw's only child therefore to me a foster-child another reason four years ago led me to confirm my former testament from time to time i have informed myself concerning your movements and fortunes the work you have chosen my dear agatha i can but believe to be fraught with unusual dangers to a young woman therefore i hope that this home modest as it is may tempt you to an early retirement from the stage and lead you to a more private and womanly career this i make only as a request not as a condition i bid you farewell and give you my blessing faithfully yours hercules Thayer. agatha redmond folded the thin sheets carefully there was a mist in her gaze as she looked off toward the distant city lights dear old gentleman his whole love-story and my mother's too perhaps her quickened memory recalled childish impressions of the visit to a large country house and of a solemn old man he seemed incredibly ancient to her and of feeling that in some way she and her mother were in a special relationship to the house it was called the old red house and was full of fascinating things the ancient man had bidden her go about and play as if it were her home and then had called her to him and laid open a book leading her mind to regard its mysteries Greek it seemed to her as if she had begun it there and then later the mother became the teacher she was nursed as it were within sight of the windy plains of troy and to the sound of the homeric hymns and all by reason of this ancient scholar there was a vivid picture in her mind gathered at some later visit of a soft hillside a small white church standing under its balm of gilead tree and herself sitting by a stone in the old churchyard listening to the strains of a hymn which floated out from the high narrow windows she remembered how from without she had joined in the hymn singing with all her small might and suddenly the association brought back to her a more recent event and a more beautiful strain of music half in reverie half in conscious pleasure in the exercise of the facile organ she began to sing free of my pain free of my burden of sorrow at last i shall see thee the song floated in a zone of silence that lay above the deep murmuring city the voice was no more than the half voice of a flute sweet gentle beguiling it told as so many songs tell of little earthly love in the grasp of mighty fate still she sang on softly as if loving the entrancing melody suddenly the song ceased and the reminiscent smile gave place to an expression of surprise as the singer became conscious of a deeper shadow falling directly in front of her she glanced up quickly and found herself looking into the face of a man whose gimlet-like gaze was directed upon herself quickly as she rose she could not turn into the path before the gentleman hat in hand with a deep bow and clearly enunciated words arrested her impulse to flight pardon mademoiselle i am a stranger in the city i was directed this way to van cortland hall but i find i am in error intrigued in confusion would mademoiselle be so good as to direct me the tones had a foreign accent there was something also in their bland impertinence which put miss redmond on her guard he was a good-sized blond person carefully dressed and at least appeared like a gentleman miss redmond looked into the smooth neat countenance upon which no record either of experience or of thought was engraved and decided fleetingly that he was lying she judged him capable of picking up acquaintances on the street but thought that more originality might be expected of him suddenly she wished that she had returned sooner to her car for though she was of an adventurous nature her bravery was not of the physical order and she disliked to have the appearance of unconventionality after the first minute she was not so much afraid as annoyed her voice became frigid though her dignity was somewhat damaged by the fact that she bungled in giving the desired information i think monsieur will find vancourt hall in the college grounds two blocks south no north of the gateway yonder at the upper end of this walk ah mademoiselle is but too kind he bowed deeply again hat still in hand i thank you profoundly and may i say also that this wonderful picture here he spread eloquent hands toward the half-quiescent city whose thousand eyes glimmered over the lower distance this panorama of occidental life makes a peculiar appeal to the imagination the springs of emotion touched potently as they had been by the surging recollections of the last half-hour were faintly stirred again in miss redmond's heart by the stranger's grandiloquent words unconsciously her features relaxed though she did not reply again i pray mademoiselle to pardon me but only a moment past i heard the song the song that might be the sigh of all the daughters of italy ah mademoiselle it is wonderful but here in this so fresh country this youthful boisterous too prosperous country that song is like 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 arabian spices in a kitchen is it not so miss redmond was moving up the steps toward the entrance hesitating between the desire to snub her interlocutor and to avoid the appearance of fright the man meanwhile moved easily beside her courteously distant discourteously insistent in his prattle but the motor-car was now not far away the stranger looked appealingly at her seemingly sure of a humorous answering look to his pleasantry It was not wholly denied She yielded to a touch of amusement with a cool smile and hastened her steps. The man kept pace without effort. Luckily, the car stood only a few feet away, with Renault, or rather hand at the curb holding open the door. A vague bow and a lifting of the hat, and, apparently, the stranger went the other way. She felt a foolish relief, and at that same instant noted with surprise that the cover of her car had been raised why did you raise the top it appeared to me mademoiselle that it was likely to rain put it down again it will not rain miss redmond was saying when from sidelong eyes she saw that the stranger had not turned in the other direction after all but was almost in her tracks as though he were stalking game with foot on the step she said sharply but in a low voice to the plaza quickly then immediately added with a characteristic practical turn but don't get yourself arrested for speeding no mademoiselle with this car i can make even as the chauffeur replied miss redmond's sharpened senses detected a passage of glances between him and the stranger now close behind her she sprang into the tonneau and seized the door but not before the man had caught at it with a stronger hold and stepped in close after her the chauffeur was in his seat the car was moving slowly now faster and faster Suddenly, the bland countenance slid very near her own while firm hands against her shoulders crowded her into the farther corner of the tonneau oh renault hand she cried but the driver made no sign help help she shrieked but the cry was instantly choked into a feeble protest a mass of something pressed to her mouth and nostrils incited her to superhuman efforts she struggled frantically fumbled at the door tore at the curtain and succeeded in getting her head for an instant at the opening while she clutched her assailant and held him helpless but only for a moment the firm large hands quickly overpowered even the strength induced by frenzy and in another minute she was lying unresisting on the soft cushions of the tonneau the car careened through the streets. The figure of the unresponsive hand mocked her cries for help. The neat, hard face of the stranger continued to bend over her. Then everything swam in a maelstrom of duller and duller scents. The world grew darker and fainter, till finally it was lost in silence. End of chapter 1